where we're going to read the Bible together just now. If you've got a, a Bible close to you, let's turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, if you've got a pew Bible, one of the red pew Bibles, it's page 1145, 1145, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read all of this chapter and look uh, mainly at the first part of it, but uh, read all of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3. We've been working our way through this book in the mornings over the last number of weeks, and we continue to do that uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, page 1145 in the Pew Bibles. We remember this is God's Word. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If anyone thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you're of Christ, and Christ is of God. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, if you have a, a Bible close to you, let's uh, turn together to 1 Corinthians 3, page 1145. That's what we're looking at for some time together now. I did uh, forget earlier to announce session this Thursday night, half past seven, uh, Kirk session meetings. And I have to confess, I forgot to announce uh, communion last weekend. And maybe in doing that, I've taken away from us one of the opportunities that coming to the Lord's table uh, provides, because it provides for us an opportunity to take stock, to ask ourselves a question, how are we doing as, as followers of the Lord Jesus? Uh, it's one of the 
the sort of the, the ideas, I guess, behind uh, the Scottish communion season. You might know that, that it was traditional in Scotland only to have communion, certainly in the western parts of Scotland, maybe once a year. And, and, and as they prepared for that, there was a whole week of meetings. There was a communion season. And uh, the, the, the idea was that you really would take stock of your life. How am I doing as a believer? Now, despite the fact that we maybe haven't had the opportunity to think about that all week, what I hope that we'll do for a moment or two uh, together this morning is to take stock a little bit, to ask the question, how are we doing? And particularly with one aspect of our uh, Christian life, and that is our growth. Whenever someone joins the church, they become full members, they're asked a particular question, and they are asked the question, do you promise to join regularly with your fellow Christians in worship on the Lord's Day and to be faithful in reading the Bible and in prayer? And that's really just uh, talking about what we were saying to the boys and girls. God has given us means by which he uh, enables us to grow, and the question is, are we saying that we're going to use those means? Do we intend to grow as Christians. Make no mistake about it, that is God's intention for us. Those of you who have been parents over the last, uh, I guess, 20 years, maybe longer, uh, would know that, that uh, your, your, your child at a time was measured and weighed and plotted on a graph. Uh, they were hitting their centiles or not hitting their centiles. And the expectation is there that uh, the child grows. That's a sign of good health, and so it is for the Christian. Now, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It was a, a, an issue of growth and progress in their faith that uh, Paul had to address with them. It was one of the things he had to address with them. He had established the church uh, in his missionary journey. He stayed with them about 18 months. He'd moved on to Ephesus for a few years, and then news began to filter through that things weren't going so well, uh, and particularly in the early chapters, the, the thing that he's addressing is that he's heard that there are divisions amongst them, divisions that were centered around personality. Some were saying, I follow Paul. Some were saying, I follow Apollos, another preacher who came in uh, later on. Some were saying, I follow Peter. But Paul drills down below that symptom to address a key underlying problem, and the problem is their lack of growth. You see what he says in verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? It's quite a challenge to them, as you see. You should notice that, that Paul addresses them as brothers. They are believers and they are believers that he loves. Now, we've got to really underline this because uh, we live in a culture where the thinking of our culture is that the loving thing to do is never to say anything that might possibly be deemed to be offensive or hard to hear. But that's not right. We need people in our lives who will love us enough to say things to us that we do not want to hear. God says things to us that we do not want to hear. It is how we become Christians, and it is part of the way that we grow as Christians. And Paul was such a, a person to these Corinthians. And you see his basic charge. They should have grown up by now, but they are still 
babies. They are in their nappies, as it were, as far as their Christian lives are concerned. Verse 2, he's saying, when you were young Christians, I gave you the appropriately simple teaching that you needed. But you should have grown up by now, and you should be ready for more, but you're not. And of course, in Paul's mind, this is not a, a new teaching, but it is exploring the truth and the implications of the gospel that they already know more deeply. And that's really important. Lots of, of believers have been led astray down through the years by somebody who has come along and said, I have a new teaching that's really going to help you in your Christian life. But this is, is not a new teaching. It's a deeper and fuller expression of what they have already grasped. Now, we see here what happens when somebody grows in their faith. We see God's intention for us. And that is that they increasingly leave behind what the Bible calls, what the NIV calls, worldly thinking here, worldliness. In other words, they think and they react less like the world does, and they think and react much more according to the gospel. So we might illustrate this like this. You, you find yourself perhaps in a, in a work situation where someone persistently treats you badly. They, they uh, tell you one thing, but they do another. They, they step on you in order to advance themselves, you know, the sort of thing. And, and, and there is a, a worldly way to react to that sort of circumstance. You, you, you might feel that you want to act with anger or, or seek revenge. And you might share your frustration with another colleague, and the colleague might say, well, do you know what you should do? You should, you should just store up all sorts of evidence against them. And then when the time is right, you can spring it on them, and they'll really get into trouble. You know, she really deserves that. He really deserves that. He's treated you terribly. You should get him back. Worldly thinking. And the Corinthians, you see, would have reacted to that sort of circumstance just in that sort of way because their thinking was shaped by the culture around them. But, of course, we, we know, don't we, that there is a godly way to react to pressure, that, 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 that we begin to, to grow in our appreciation of how Christ treats us. And maybe we, we begin to, to realize, well, now, Lord, isn't it true that, that that you've treated me as I don't deserve, much better than I deserve. So maybe am I to therefore treat others better than they deserve too? Can, can, can I react with, with grace rather than revenge? Can, will you help me do that, Lord? You see that there's a godly way to, to react to that circumstance? And Christian growth, you see, is, is beginning to, to move from that, that worldly way of thinking and living to a Christ-like way of thinking and living. Now, that's just one example, but it's a, it's a basic principle at work, you see, in these Corinthians' lives. And, and they were doing the same thing with divisions, weren't they? The world loves to divide. They were in a culture where, where the world loved to split people up, to, to relish in conflict. And the Corinthians were like that. Rather than building bridges, they were building factions, though the world hasn't changed all that much. And they were thinking in worldly terms, like mere men, as Paul says, not like people who have been and were being transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says you're not spiritual in verse 1. Their, their lives were not demonstrating the, 
presence of the Holy Spirit who forms Jesus in them. He's not saying they weren't Christians. He addresses them as brothers, but he's saying there's, there's not the, the outward evidence of the fact that the Spirit is living in you. Now, as we say this, we need to step back, don't we, and ask ourselves the question, how are we doing? How long, how long have you been a Christian? You, you, you answer that question for yourself. How long is it? If, if you are a Christian, how, how long is it since you started to follow Jesus? Five years, 10 years, 50 years, perhaps longer? And the question is, have you grown? Is your life, is my life marked less by the world and more by the Spirit? Or are we still like calves and kittens and pups and leverets. We know that it's possible, don't we? It was for the Corinthians. They were following Jesus five years, and they hadn't grown up. It's possible for us too. Well, what about looking forward? Do we, do we plan to grow? Because we've got to be sure, don't we, that, that such growth will not happen accidentally. That's why it's part of the promise that we make whenever we become communicants. Our, our forefathers who drafted those questions knew that we would not drift into maturity. It will come as part of us committing to the fellowship, reading our Bibles, saying our prayers. You're not drift into maturity. Now, maybe that sounds like a lot of work. Maybe there's something in some of us, perhaps, that might say, well, do you know what? I've, I've sort of got my ticket. Couldn't I just sort of stay as I am? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be okay just to know that I'm saved? Is that not enough? Well, well, let's just go on to unpick a few things that happen in this passage that, that might hopefully help us see that that's not a good way to approach things. If we stay as baby Christians, here are some of the things that could happen. One is we might not see how God is at work. We might not see how God is at work. Look at verses 5 to 9. What after all is Apollos, or what is Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task? I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So Paul points out here that really what the Corinthians are doing is all wrong because they're focusing on the wrong worker. They're talking about how great Paul is or how great Apollos is, but the real worker is God. Paul describes himself as a servant, the old word, uh, the word came from the word for a table waiter. Now, you know, if you go for a, a, a great meal somewhere, and the waiter comes, and the waiter's very kind to you, and so on, and very helpful, but if the meal is absolutely out of this world, the person that you're really thinking about is the chef. The chef is the one who's, who's put it all together. The waiter's just brought it to you. And, and Paul says, well, look, that's really what, what we're like, we're just really waiters. We're, we're, we're giving you something that, that God has prepared. One 
they, they do have their role, of course. The, the, the roles were slightly different. Uh, one, Paul, uh, was the one who planted the seed. Another, Apollos, was the one who came in, along and watered it. We, we might say that, that Paul sort of did the evangelizing and Apollos did the teaching. It's not as neat as that. We know that Paul did lots of teaching too. But, but far from being in competition with each other, they're actually working together. They fit together. They need each other. He and Apollos are one according to verse 8. They're one in purpose. But their real focus should be on God. It's he who makes things grow. It's he who grows the church. Now, you see that with their, with their baby thinking, their baby Christian thinking, their worldly thinking, they're just missing what God is doing, because Paul tells them that we are God's field, we are God's building. We are the ones in whom God is at work. Now, how reassuring it would have been for them to know that, that, that they were God's building, that, that, that God had sent specialized servants into their lives to mature them. But, but, but they don't see that because they're too busy looking at the wrong people and forgetting the God who is really at work through those people. Now, you see, there's one of the problems if we just stay as, as baby Christians. Part of what it means to grow in our faith is to begin to appreciate the, the myriad ways in which God is at work all around us, in our lives, at every moment, in every circumstance. Listen to some of the things that God says about His children. He says, we are God's workmanship. We are, Paul says in, in Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amazing statement. Paul says in Colossians, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says in Philippians, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, you, you think about that. How would your week have been different if at every point, in every day, you had been conscious that every circumstance that you were in, God was at work to fulfill in you his good purposes? How would it be in the week ahead, the things that you're going to go into, if, if you knew that that was the case, that the people that you come across are all by divine appointment, that nothing happens by accident, that, that, that God is, is, is at work in you? Wouldn't that change things? Well, you see, it's as you, as you grow in your faith that you experience that and see that. And the Corinthians, well, they'd got their focus all wrong. So, so there's a possibility, you see, that if you, if you stay as an immature Christian, then you miss out on, on realizing just how much God is at work. There's another danger, however, Paul sees, we see here, and that is there's a danger that if, if, we, if we think in this worldly way, if we, if we don't grow in our faith, we will damage that which God holds precious. Now, Paul um, introduces the idea of being God's building in verse 9, and he, he shows how those who work for God's work should, should build in verse 9 and following. You see, in the Corinthian church, there were some uh, poor teachers and leaders who had come along and were not helping the fellowship. They, they were Christians, 
but they, they, they just weren't very helpful in how they were leading the church. So Paul takes an opportunity here to speak about, about how you can approach the work of God. He makes it clear that there's only one foundation. It must be Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 11? No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you can't build a church or bless the church by anything less than the gospel. Only Christ has a suitable foundation. But then you see that there are some who come along and they try to build on that foundation in different ways. Some use the best quality materials, gold and silver and precious stones. You can imagine them pouring themselves into this work for the Lord, taking it with the utter seriousness. But some, well, they find that gold and silver and precious stones, they're, they're, they're hard to get, and they're heavy, and they're hard work. And so, so they, they, they use the stuff that's a wee bit easier to get to hand, wood and hay and straw. And you see, the thing is that one day, all of our work will be tested and that which is not durable will be burned up. There'll be nothing left. Now, Paul's speaking in the first instance about those teachers who are not particularly helping the Corinthian church, but there's a wider application, isn't there, to, to all of our service for the Lord, all of our living for the Lord, whoever we are. How do we approach what we do for God? Do we say, oh, well, that'll do rightly? Do we give Him our best? Is there an appropriate seriousness in what we do? Whether that's with our witness or our teaching or our giving or our time, is, is leftovers the best that he will have? Well, what, he, what happens to this wood, hay, straw person? Well, he's a Christian, so he's saved. He goes to heaven, but we might say he, he goes to heaven only just. Seems odd to say that, doesn't it? But as Paul says here, he goes to heaven as one escaping through the flames. You see that in verse 15. And, and really, he, he gets to heaven, the smell of smoke is still on him. And he's got nothing to show for his Christian life because he's not given God his best. Now, we need to think about what this passage says, maybe more fully at some other time. It speaks about rewards, I think, here in heaven. That speaks about the fact that not everybody in heaven is in the same position. And I'm sure that we ought to have that thought of heavenly rewards much, much more in our minds. But, but today, we're going to go somewhere slightly different, and that is just to see that, that Paul is saying, look, this, this work for the Lord is incredibly precious because I'm building on this incredibly precious foundation, and you are God's house. This, is, this really, really matters. God demands the best. And then he says to the Corinthians in verses 16 and 17, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So, so Paul said, we need to treat our service of the Lord in the church with the utmost integrity, giving him my best, especially those who are called to lead. But if we are God's building his temple, then, then no one should damage it. You see, here they were. But Paul knew this. They, they were creating division. They were creating dissension within all their, 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 their little fellowships and so on. You could hardly call them fellowships. They were really factions. And they were messing with what was precious to God. They think they're just waving flags for one group or another. But, 
but this is God's temple. So don't mess, he's saying, with what's sacred to God. The church and his people are precious to him. God dwells in them. And in fact, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, then God will destroy him. So in their immaturity, they're in danger of, of damaging that which is precious to God. So you see, you know, we were saying, well, what if some of us are sort of saying, well, do you know what, I've got to a certain point in my Christian life, and I know I'm not there, but, but, but I'm not down there. I, I, it's okay. I'll draw a line. Got far enough. My commitment is manageable and decent. What are we saying if, if, we, if we're drawing a, life, a line in our Christian lives? Well, well, we're saying that we don't want to be all that we can be for God. We're, we're saying that a life marked by some degree by immaturity and sin and failure is fine. I've got my ticket, but my sin, such as it is, is, is okay. My lack of holiness is okay. And you see, the thing is, it's really not. And it affects more than just you, more than just me. Sometimes whenever a couple come here to get married, I will say to them, of a believing couple, I say to them now, uh, I say, Mary, uh, what uh, John needs from you is for you to be a, a woman of God, to, to be absolutely a, a sold out for living for the Christ first before everything else. And John, what, what Mary needs for you is for you to be a man of God, sold out, living for God more than anything else. Because you see, if... if, if one person fails in that desire, it will affect the relationship. And it's true within the church too. If we start to take our foot off the gas, as it were, if we sit back in our Christian lives, if we say, I don't want to grow, then it's going to affect everybody. We need each other to be all we can be for the Lord. And so he says in these last verses, we don't have time to look at them, have done with these worldly ways of thinking. It leads nowhere. It gets nothing done. Strive after God. Actually, he says, he says even more than that. You see at the end, 21 and 22, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. And I'm not sure for a moment that I know everything that, that those couple of verses mean. But, but it's saying, I think, this. Look at who you are. Look at what God has made you. Look at the privilege that he has given you. You belong to him. And in him, everything belongs to you. So don't settle for less than God has called you to be. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, we were like children playing in the mud when we were being offered a wonderful beach holiday. Don't settle for less than what we can be in Christ. God has made you him, his. He has given you all things. We will, we will enjoy him. And what he has in store for us is beyond our wildest dreams. So don't stay as a baby Christian grow, be all you can be. God deserves that honor, and we need it together. 
Let's pray together. Lord, help us, we pray. We, we know that, that there's something in us that, that simply wants to draw a line to say, this far is far enough as far as living for you is concerned. Help us to live a life with no lines, dedicated to knowing you better day by day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.